outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, home of the modern whitetail hunter. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. And this week on the show, we are discussing the whitetail rut. And I'm breaking down my first week in November hunt in 2022. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by First Light. And today we are deep in the whitetail rut. When you're listening to this, we are still in the peak best of the year time to be deer hunting. It should be great. And what I want to do for you today is share some important lessons learned, some high level ideas, some specific tactics, and different things that you can do to have success over the coming days and weeks. And the way I want to do that is by telling you the story of the hunt that I just finished up. I just finished up hunting one week in November. This is uh, as part of a show that we film called One Week in November. And basically, if you are not familiar with the show, it follows myself and this year four other hunters as we hunt different parts of the country for the first seven days of November. And you get to see what each day of that month looks like as we go through, you know, everything the rut can throw at you. So I want to tell you my story. I want to break down how things went for me and use that as as kind of a canvas to cover a number of different deer hunting ideas, specifically for how to have success at this time of the year. But before we get into that, I want to uh, I want to kind of shine a spotlight on something that you might have missed last week. I just mentioned this is the best time of year, right? You might say it's the most wonderful time to kill deer. Now, if you missed this, at the end of last week's podcast, we had a special little surprise for all of you. 
a song that was produced by our two podcast producers, Phil and Hayden, who put together an amazing original rendition of what we are now calling The Most Wonderful Time to Kill Deer. It is a riff on The Most Wonderful Time of the Year, The Christmas Carol, which we talked about uh, last week, I guess, in Rutfresh Radio. Me, KC, and Tyler were talking about how somebody needs to write a song about this, but a deer hunting version of it, you know, taking The Christmas Carol and making it a deer hunting song. Well, Hayden and Phil went ahead and did that, and they included it at the end of last week. But I know some of you may not have made it all the way to the end of the show, so I want you to listen to it now. So to set the mood for today's episode, to really get our spirits right, we're going to listen to this truly amazing Christmas-slash-rut hunting song. Hayden, cue the music. Boys, good to see you. Hayden, it's been a while. Hey, sorry I'm late. I crashed my Pontiac Aztec into a light pole and had to walk the rest of the way, but I'm here now. That's what matters. Can you get me a glass of scotch, please, Hayden? Just two rocks in there. I don't like ice. We're starting already. This is happening. Okay, just give me the give me the glass. Thank you. Okay, here we go. It's the most wonderful time to kill deer. With the rut now just starting and dashing and dotting and veins cutting clean. It's the most wonderful time to kill deer. There's far too much ice in this glass. It's the half happiest season of all. There's got to be at least 12 cues. With grunting and bleeding and cold fronts and sleeting the last weeks of fall. It's the half happiest season of all. There'll be pictures for posting and bragging and boasting in truck beds with big bucks in tow. There'll be narrow missed stories and tales of near glories of booner bucks missed with our bows. It's the most wonderful time to kill deer. Not just one, maybe two. There'll be no doze of blowing and luminox glowing and blood trails so clear. It's the most wonderful time to kill deer. Hey, excuse me. Can I have a napkin, please? I just spilled some scotch on my loafers. I can't have dirty loafers in the studio. Yeah, well, thank you. Tailgate beers for drinking and big bucks of slinking and chasing and scent checking does. They'll be fighting and scraping and no more escaping and arrow shot true hitting home. Key change? What? No one told me that. It's the most wonderful time to kill deer. I was very unprepared for this. There'll be much morning sitting in cold fronts are hitting the dawn crisp and clear. It's the most wonderful time. Oh, the most wonderful time. Yes, the most wonderful time. To kill There's too much ice in the glass. Two rocks. Now, come on. <laughs> I mean, that is uh, that's pretty legendary. I mean, I when I first heard it, I was I was shocked at how well it turned out. I laughed a lot. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you did too. And uh, now with that kind of to set the mood, 
All right, your palate is cleansed. You're ready to discuss the rut. Let's talk about my week and what we can all learn from it and what we can all do better from it. Last week, if you remember, not last week, last year, if you remember, I did one of these shows immediately after my week hunt, and I kind of broke down everything that happened, the good, the bad, the ugly, and uh, I wanted to to, kind of do that same format because it's very different than our usual show, right? There's no guest. It's pretty raw. It's completely unplanned. I have no notes. I have no anything. I'm just going top of mind here, but sometimes that's the best way to to kind of relive and learn from something is to just immediately after it, spill your guts. And so that's that's what I'm going to do. And I hope this is helpful. So let's set the stage. My plan for this week was to have two states lined up that I could hunt. I was going to first go to Nebraska. And then if I filled my tag in Nebraska, I was going to go to Ohio. Now, let's talk about these two locations. Uh, the Nebraska location was something that I came to last year. Well, actually several years ago, I I learned about this general region when me and my buddy Andy May went for a hunt in Nebraska together. Had a lot of fun on that. Really enjoyed the country, saw some deer, killed a nice buck. So I knew someday, you know, I'd be interested in going back. Well, last year I was trying to plan a Great Plains hunt of some sort to uh, foul with Tony Treach and learn his method for decoying whitetails. Uh, on the ground. So if you watched my show Deer Country this year, you'll see that episode. And what I did is I found some public land out there and set foot on it for the first time and ended up, you know, seeing some nice deer, having a good time. But I bring all this up to say that at the end of that trip, we actually bumped into a guy who owns some land in the same general region. And we asked for hunting permission there as well. And he was incredibly generous enough to let us do that. So the last two evenings of that hunt was on this private land. And on those two nights, you know, it was, it was very short. I just kind of went in for like the last two hours of the night on both evenings. And again, we were just doing this on the ground thing with the decoy. So I basically was just kind of stalking my way across this property and glassing, but I ended up seeing some deer, including one nice buck, really nice buck. So that was, you know, on my mind this year, when thinking about where do I want to go for my November hunt. And I decided, you know, as some of you might remember in the you know weeks and months that have led up to this, I've talked a lot about my goals this season. And one of those main goals is to just get back to the fun of it. Do, you know, do things, make decisions um, because it's fun, because that's what hunting's supposed to be. And I at times have been guilty of making it a mission and an obsession and losing the fun because of that. So when I was planning out where do I want to spend my rut, I thought where would be a lot of fun. And this Nebraska location was that for me. I love these kind of wide open terrain type locations. I like being able to see long ways. I like to be in a spot where it's just beautiful and not a lot of people. And that is what this location is. So I thought, hey, let's go out to this place that's gorgeous where I know there's some decent deer, where I think it would set up well for the rut because this is kind of wide open terrain with some creek bottoms and river bottom kind of stuff. And, you know, typically in that kind of scenario, like you'll find in Nebraska, some of the Dakotas, uh, Kansas, of course, parts of Oklahoma, probably eastern Colorado, in those types of areas, you know, deer funnel along tight stretches of cover. There's not a lot of cover. And so where there is, it funnels the deer moving really nicely. So I thought, man, that would work great for the rut out there. So 
uh, that's what I decided to do. I decided to head to Nebraska and I would hunt it, you know, the way I would normally hunt. That being, you know, from a saddle up in a tree. But I'd also bring my decoys so that if I wanted to try the thing I learned last year with a heads up decoy, I could. And I was also going to bring my full body decoy so that if I want to set up in the tree but put a decoy in the ground, I could do that too. Um, and basically just, you know, go back to a place I love a lot, but hunt it in a different way than I did last year. And also I would have, you know, hopefully be able to hunt that public land as well if I needed to, too. So that was, you know, part one of the plan. Part two of the plan, if I were to kill a buck in Nebraska, I needed somewhere else I could go for the rest of the week. And that location was going to be Ohio. Now there's like a long winding story of, of how I came to find a place to hunt in Ohio this year. Um, I spent a lot of time this summer just talking to a bunch of people, asking around, trying to trying to get a spot, uh, trying to get access to a good thing. And, um, you know, I think I mentioned this already with Dan the other day, but had a spot that came together at the very beginning of October. And again, very last minute, nothing happened in the summer, despite my efforts. Finally, something came together in early October. And then like a week later, that fell apart and then found another thing that kind of fell in my lap in mid-October. So all I was able to do to prepare this Ohio property was get down one day in October and do a speed scout. I literally got to the property, ran around as much of it as I could, got eyes on as much as I could, and put up some trail cameras, and that's it. So let's discuss what that Ohio property looks like. This, you know, in comparison to the Nebraska piece, which is a very large ranch, this Ohio stuff was two very small parcels. I had a 30-some acre piece and then a 70-acre piece, and and that's what I was going to have to work with. Now, when I got and step foot on those parcels, uh, they were a little bit different than I was expecting. But I guess we can get into that um, as we move into this story. Let's let's start in Nebraska. All right, it is October 30th. Me and my cameraman, Justin Michaud, hit the road, and we drive west, west on 80, heading towards the promised land, heading towards uh, all good things, tend to be in the west. And uh, we were really excited. I had very high hopes for the hunt, except for one thing. There was one problem uh, that was concerning me, and that was the weather forecast. And if any of you have hunted over the last 10, 12, 13 days, you know what I'm talking about here. We just had a very, very warm November. So I saw that in the upcoming forecast and, uh, you know, was worried about it. Even though, and we'll talk about this more, even though I know you can have success in hot weather during the rut, you know, none of us are looking forward to that. No one wants that. Um, it almost always does dampen things, sometimes a little bit, sometimes significantly when it comes to deer movement. So that was staring me in the hairy eyeball. But uh, we're heading west anyways. And we got to Nebraska the next day on Halloween and spent that first part of the day, you know, meeting with the landowner, thanking him, uh, kind of getting situated, setting up our spot. He actually had a little bunkhouse on his property he let us stay at so we just got situated and then that evening we decided we were going to go out and glass um, the way the plan for the show was was that we were all going to hunt november 1 through 7 so we weren't going to hunt the evening of october 31st but we could scout so this property this ranch is is mostly big wide open grasslands except for um, a handful of little blocks of timber that some other folks were hunting. And then there was this river corridor, which was going to be where we were going to focus our efforts. And basically, 
I'm not exactly sure how long this corridor is, but it, it very well might be, I don't know, a half mile long, three quarters of a mile long, maybe maybe longer. It's a big stretch of river, and all of the covers is tight along that river. So there were two, actually three, four-ish parts across this corridor where when I had been studying the maps, I'd been interested. Um, when I had gone and hunted those two evenings last year, I'd literally only, like I said, glassed a tiny chunk, like a five, seven acre, nine acre chunk of cover that I had watched. Um, there was a lot more out there that I had no idea what was going on there. So that first night, me and Justin decided to split up. Justin was going to go to the far western corner of the property and glass this little stretch of river that bumped up next to some pivot fields on a neighboring property. And I was going to glass the far east corner of this property where uh, it bumped up to some more really big cover on a neighboring property. And I was curious to see if deer would be coming out of that big cover and pinching down into the narrow stuff along uh, where we could hunt. So both of us got up on hills. We both had, uh, or at least I had a spotting scope. I think Justin had binos and a tripod. And we watched. And I think this is an example of you know, uh, an important thing to think about when you're heading out for a hunting trip, if you are setting foot on a property for the first time, which is basically what we're doing, I, I, you know, spent two hours there the previous year, I I knew very, very little about this property. Um, In this kind of situation where you're brand new, and you've got a week hunt, you might want to consider that first evening or that first day or some portion of the beginning of your property, putting yourself in learn mode, putting yourself in scout mode, even during the rut, Getting good intel is incredibly valuable. Really good intel and fewer hunts is almost always more valuable than more hunts that are blind, right? I think if you've taken one thing from a lot of the great deer hunters we talked to, they all scout a lot. They all prioritize scouting, glassing, walking, trail cameras, studying sign, whatever it is. That's so important. Just randomly sitting in a place is almost never a good idea. Even during the rut, even at this time of year when stuff can be kind of crazy, when anything is possible, even now, you need that intel. And so in this case, I spent that first evening trying to gather some intel, trying to either confirm or disprove my assumptions about how deer might be using this terrain in this November time period. So here's what we saw. Justin glassed his area down there, and he saw maybe 10 or 12 does and two pretty nice possible shooter bucks come out of this kind of bushy, brushy stuff. I don't even know what it's called. Um, Just some bushes, thick, nasty bramble bushes that are down on these river bends, Um, kind of like the oxbow, like the inside corner of the S-curve of a river. There's all that thick, nasty stuff down by the river, and then there were scattered cottonwoods and some cedars and stuff like that. And these deer were bedding down by the river, popping out, walking into the grass and slowly kind of working their way towards those pivot fields, um, you know, towards the end of the evening. Now, I should point out, it's hot. It was a 75 degree day here on our first night there. And these deer did move still, but they're moving late. All right, this is Halloween night. One of the best days of the rut, right? Everybody's excited for the kickoff of the rut being Halloween. But there was no movement until that last like 45 minutes, 30 minutes of daylight. But when that arrived, bam, here come the deer, and they start working their way out. And what he noticed was all these deer were still kind of in feed mode. There was no chasing, there was no bumping, there was none of that hard rut kind of stuff. Now, on the other side of the property where I was, 
same kind of deal. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And then 45 minutes before dark, I see a doe. And then about 40 minutes before dark, I see another doe. And off another corner, another doe. And same kind of deal. Where there's these S-bends in the river. So imagine like draw an S river, right? A river that's making these S's up and down or left to right, left to right, left to right. And on the insides of each of those bends, there's thick cover, there's some trees, there's bushes. On the outside corner of each of those S's, there's not as much cover. There might be just a few scattered cottonwoods, just little strips of timber. So you've got these bedding areas on the insides, and then you've got these little pinches of timber on the outsides of the S-bend. So that's important because this terrain really dictated things that I did once we started hunting. So I see these does starting to pop out from these little inside corner bedding areas. I'm watching and I've got my spotting scope on them and I look over onto the other property, which I can see in the distance, and I see antlers. And I pull up my binos and look at it and it's a really nice buck. It's a definite solid shooter buck. And then a little bit later I see another deer pop out back on the other side of the property line, our side, and I can see a bigger body deer and it's a buck. Now, I can't tell how big this deer is. He definitely was as big as the first one, but I can see him kind of nosing around the does. And over the course of the next, you know, 20, 30 minutes, I ended up seeing two bucks cruise along one of those little pinch points I was talking about on the outside bend of the river in between the two bedding areas. And then I saw that big, big buck on the neighbor's property. And at last light, another nice buck popped out of this bedding area where he'd been. And these deer all kind of just slowly worked their way out from the river cover out towards the uh, out towards the grass, heading to parts unknown. So that's what I saw this first night. Very encouraging first night sign. Now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart, or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. 
The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. All right, so that was how that uh, you know early first night scouting went. But I, I got to tell you guys, we have a guest appearance now out of nowhere. Cameraman Justin Michelle is on the show. Well, hello. Thanks for hopping on the podcast, man. It was getting a little bit tough just myself recapping, and uh, when you happened to uh, show up at my truck, I thought, why not have you uh, contribute? So out of nowhere, huh? Out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> so. So what I'm doing, man, is just recapping our trip and using it, hopefully, as a as a kind of a platform to talk about different lessons learned and ideas for hunting in the rut. Okay, so I just recapped the scouting on our first night in Nebraska. I talked about what you saw. I talked about what I saw. Um, and coming out of that, that evening, basically what I was trying to do is, is try to figure out like where we should start our hunt, which side of the property we should start. Um, and then use that as a, you know an observation and adjust kind of strategy from there, right? Yep. Um, like we talked about, you know, when we started, I, I wanted to have a decent place to begin, and then we would just watch what happens, and uh, and go from there. Yep. So based on what I saw and what you saw, both good, but in my corner I saw some bigger deer than what you had seen, so decided to you know start on the east side. And I think that evening we basically just prepared our bags, got our gear ready, um, and we're going to head in in the dark and set up a set, you know, stepping foot in that corner for the first time. Yep. Um, so day one, November 1st, basically all I'm going on here was what I saw that evening while glassing and then the map. And I described already to folks what the terrain looks like. There's basically the river and the S-bends. The bedding is on the inside of these river bends. Then there's these little strips of timber on the outside. And we had a south wind that was basically blowing from our side of the river to the other side of the river. And so what I wanted to do was set up in a pinch point between these two bedding areas right along the river so that my wind would blow across the river and not you know, over any terrain where deer could be. Um, so basically imagine this river that we're making, but have the river, you know, kind of run horizontally from left to right. And there's these S bends going up and down. And I am on the outside bend of one of these river curves with an inside curve on either side that has this thick, brushy, nasty stuff. Um, so we got in there early that morning. Uh, I think we headed in like right around two hours before daylight to give us enough time to 
drive out there to hike out to this region and then to you know in the dark look for a tree that would work um it was a little harder to find the perfect tree than i thought was going to be there yeah it was a bit surprising because even in the dark they seem deceiving you and you and you don't want to leave scent everywhere so you're like oh there's a good one and you go 20 30 yards and it ends up being a little bit too small and yeah uh and then every one of them had branches all the way to the ground so so many little tiny junky branches everywhere um so yeah eventually we found what we thought was the best you know given what we were trying to do and the main things i was trying to do is i wanted to be in that pinch but i also wanted to be tight enough to the river that i could have the wind blow while also being kind of close to one of the bedding areas so at least we could kind of be seeing what's going on in there a little bit so basically i was looking where that piece of timber pinched down to the narrowest at the very beginning of that pinch and then trying to get my wind blowing over the river and and we eventually found a tree that that did that um took a while had to trim a bunch of those branches off as we were climbing up there to get situated and make room for both of us but we got in there daylight uh arrives and did we see i think the first deer was a doe mm-hmm. and she came from the grassy stuff headed into our river corridor and headed into those, the bedding area yep um and then i think the second deer was a buck Right, yep. I think that was when we saw that nice, I think it was a 10-pointer, but with a couple busted tines on one side. And he came from the grassy plain stuff as well and then headed to this little patch of like three little scrubby trees out in the middle of nowhere and just walked straight to them and then just started working them. Made a couple scrapes, rubbed up on some bushes, just put on a show. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was beautiful, wasn't it? Sunlit hitting the back of his his uh, sunlight hitting the back of his breath, and it was just picture perfect. Yeah, everything you could ask for. He was showing off for sure. He was. Unfortunately, though, he he just did that and then turned and headed straight uh, north. I guess it would have been headed straight down to one of the bedding areas but on the other side of the property line we were about 100 120 yards or something from the edge of the property and he was on the other side and heading into a bedding area over there Um, i tried grunting and i tried rattling and neither one of those things really turned him at all um did he did he even look i can't remember uh i do think he looked but i think he had a mission yeah he was he was uh, determined to do something different. So he went off that way and disappeared. And from there we saw, I think, four more white-tailed does and then four muley does, actually. Yep. Um, and then that was it for the morning. Yeah, and it was just very interesting to observe, um, you know, this group of trees, which was maybe two, three, out in the middle of nowhere along a fence line, and that's that was the hub you know those whitetails the does uh, that came in after him went to that same scrape and i mean that tree had to have been you know a couple hundred yards 150 yards from even the the river corridor that we were on so it was just so unique to watch how these deer are using this terrain you know and and you and i are so like eastern focused for the most part that it's just really cool to try and wrap our heads around like what the heck these things are doing yeah and you know coming out of that like seeing what that buck did and where he had it going back into that bedding area and the neighbors 
And then, you know, not seeing any cruising bucks working the river the way I thought they would. Um, you know, I was a little disappointed and concerned with that. Um, enough that I was thinking, like, man, do we need to push down closer to that bedding area on the neighbors? Do we need to move over there somehow? Are all the deer coming in and out of there? You know, two of the good bucks I saw the night before had come out of there. Um, so I was a little worried about this spot I'd picked, but unsure. So I ended up getting out of the tree, leaving everything in the tree, but getting out and deciding to just, like, scout down a little bit and just see, like, is there another tree that would still work for our wind and still work at this pinch point but give us a view at least into the neighboring bedding area um so i snuck over there and long story short i just couldn't find anything that would check all the boxes i really um i really didn't want to blow my wind into one of these inside corners where there's likely deer bedded and if i went any further than basically where we were you were going to have that and i just didn't in the end think that whatever we would get in a little bit better view would be worth (laughs) you know, possibly spooking deer coming through there. Um, and this brings me to another kind of rut foundational question, like a thing I constantly debating with myself when I'm hunting. And that is, do you move to new spots when you're not seeing what you want to see? Or do you stick it out in a location and give it time because it's the rut. And if you're in a feature or terrain feature or a funnel, or if you're in a bedding area, eventually if you picked your spots right if you pick something that should have deer during the rut you just have to give it time and eventually a buck will come through um and so in this case that's what i was debating i I felt like this was a rock solid setup as far as a pinch point with my wind blowing over the water and bedding on either side of this river corridor there should be bucks cruising up and down eventually but we didn't see them that morning um so i had you know little questions like do i need to bounce somewhere new but uh decide no trust the feature give this some more time um that said we did want to try to learn more about the area and this goes back to what i talked about at the very beginning this idea of scouting early in a trip like this you got to learn you got to figure out what's going on so you can have well you know you need data to make good decisions so i did climb out of the tree and at i think noonish noon or one o'clock or something like that um, we went and kind of lightly scouted two other spots. We um, did like a speed scout on the outside of some of this kind of cover along the river, and I hung two different cell cameras um, in two different regions so that, you know, we could basically have eyes in two, you know, well-dispersed areas to get a sense of where the most bucks were, where these bucks were cruising, were they doing what we thought they were going to be doing, um, basically just trying to figure out like where's the hot spot along this river that we need to focus on. Um, so that's how we spent the midday hours that day. Yep. Um, hot weather again, super hot day. It ended up being like 80 degrees, I think that day mm-hmm. or close to it at least. Um, but, uh, I, I thought that was a good use of those midday hours when we didn't think that there was going to be daylight activity in the middle of the day, like you sometimes hope for in the rut. Um, but I thought, Hey, this is a good way to still, you know, in a way be hunting. We're, we're doing something that's going to help us. Um, we ended up then heading back out to the tree at like three thirty or four, or something like that, climb back in, got settled and, uh, just kind of crossed all our fingers and toes that there would be more buck activity than there was in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, now from here, things take a turn. Um, we, Oh, have a pretty slow start to the evening hunt. But the last hour arrives, I think we got to like 6.15, I think is right. 
and it was just about the same time I saw the first deer the night before. And you and me made a bet when we thought we were going to see the first deer. Yeah, I was two and, minutes off. And you were really close. So you, you won the bet. Yeah. And um, that first deer was a doe, showed up at 615, coming out of one of those bedding areas that I could see off the distance, probably 150 yards away or something. And then here comes another doe. And then a little bit later, oh, there's another doe. And a few minutes later, oh, yep, there's another one. And I think that continued for maybe 20 minutes, something like that, 15, 20 minutes. And then, bam, I see antlers. And right away, I'm like, good buck, good buck, good buck. Right along the edge of that river, following one of these inside bends of the river coming out of that bedding cover, here's a nice 10-point buck, um, like a really solid, like, three- or four-year-old nice deer. And um, he's just slowly working his way along the river. He's not chasing does. He's not even like hard cruising. He's just kind of slowly working his way, kind of like nibbling grass as he goes. And he does that for, I don't know, 10 minutes as we're trying to get in position and you're trying to find him. <laughs> yeah, and the which I never did. Yeah, it was uh, not ideal from that. He was just always behind trees, it seemed yeah. like. He eventually comes out of that riverbend, gets into our pinch point, and starts walking right towards us. But there's actually a little barbed wire fence that the rancher has out there along this edge. And he worked that fence, which runs right beneath us eventually. So I've got, I've got my bow, and I'm getting all set. And you are turned around trying to find him. And he mm-hmm. ends up turning and walking like straight at us. And there's branches along this line. And he ends up walking to maybe 40 yards. 40, yep. Yeah, something like that. And then freezes. And just kind of stands and he's looking around and i think at this point you finally kind of saw yep. him right yeah i could see him i could see him through the tree at that point but i'm thinking to myself this is amazing that we've got a shooter buck almost in range right now but he's on this line that you know i'm not gonna be able to get a shot i can't shoot him right now he's kind of nervous or he's he's, he's just kind of checking things out i don't know if he was nervous but he was just checking things out and I'm thinking to myself, if he continues as he is, he's going to walk right to the base of our tree, mm-hmm. and I will have never have an opportunity in this whole way. Um, so I'm concerned about the whole situation. But just prior to that, I guess I forgot, just prior to him getting there, I spotted another buck coming up behind him. And the, my first words were, giant eight-pointer. Mm-hmm. So another buck had come out behind him out of that same bedding area, and he kind of slowly follows behind the ten-pointer, and this buck looks like an eight-pointer to me. Really tall, really heavy, bigger deer. Um, so now, back to where I was. That eight-pointer kind of disappears in the cover. The ten-pointer had turned the corner and had walked right to our edge. And he's now, you know, right in front of us, but we can't shoot. Next thing that happens, I hear coming from behind me. And as I told you guys, there's this river. And I had set up so that we would be blowing our wind off into the river. But we weren't able to get a tree that was right on the edge of the water. We had like a 20, 30-yard strip of grass that kind of fell down the hill from us to the water. And that, you know, was the best we could get. Well, of course, as there's two shooter bucks coming our way, of course, the one little place in any direction that you could possibly get our wind, this doe goes. And then a second doe. So we've got two does slowly coming up behind us downwind we've got this nice 10 point buck 40 yards away just kind of standing looking around trying to figure out why something's a little bit off he's behind branches and then the big eight steps out and he walks out of the bedding cover into this little kind of meadowy opening walks across he's maybe 80 yards away 
starts rubbing on a bush. And at this point, I don't think you saw him yet. No, because he, yeah, I, I, he was tucked into that bush still and kind of behind some limbs. And you were so focused on that other buck. Yeah. Um, I just remember being like, Justin, do you see the eight now? And, and you're like, it, no. I'm like, he's right there. He's right in the open. And you were like, you stupid idiot. Like, <laughs> what are you looking at? Yeah, something like that. And then after that, it just got worse. But we didn't <laughs> catch any of that. And you, you eventually saw him because oh, he yeah. was right out there yeah. in the open. And what was your first reaction when you saw that deer? Uh, how tall. I was just blown away by how tall he was. Yeah. And I knew, like, he was, like, the next caliber. You know, yeah. I could see the 10-pointer enough to figure out, like, he he's a shooter. But then this, this other deer was just kind of, like, so unique. Just had uh, such sweet character and... Um, yeah, I thought he was a big eight as well, but yeah, I was just, it was like, all you could see was his, his antlers were half, you know, as tall as his body. So, um, at that point I was like still just trying not to get busted by this 10 pointer. Cause I knew if we screw up, um, then he's going to blow this eight out and that we can just like hold it together that, you know, the 10 was like standing there for you know what seemed like forever but that eight was making his way in just kind of doing like pre-ruddy kind of stuff and uh you know i wasn't at first i was thinking like this this 10 pointer has us pegged but then you know after the fact i think i realized that he was probably like could see those does before we could so he must have been like either I'm not saying he wasn't on to us, but I, I, it did make sense after that he was just, like, trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah, he, he never he never fully spooked. Nope. But what did happen is, is as that big eight kind of turns and starts angling our way a little bit, he starts making scrapes and stuff like that, and those does, as I mentioned, were coming up behind us, and eventually they headed, like, right to the base of our tree, and they did get downwind of us, and they... They never fully blew out, but they knew something wasn't quite right. And one of them eventually did like a little bound, bound, you know, like the jump, jump off in the way and then kind of flagged her tail and started walking away. And at that point, the 10 pointer then crossed the fence and started heading towards those does. And then another doe kind of bounded off. So they got kind of spooky and I don't think they blew. I can't remember, but I don't think they blew, but they kind of bounded off nervous. And that 10 pointer just kind of jogged off their direction and, you know, ran within 20 yards of me in the open for a brief second but i you know i i don't see any way i can spin and move without that other buck seeing us because he's now looking over at us and you know that that first buck freaking out too so i just held still let the 10 pointer bounce off away from us with hopes that the big eight would continue working our way yep and i was like i was that's the the dilemma of the cameraman is not knowing what the shooter's going to do <laughs> at all times. So I kept whispering to you, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> and I thought you were going to pull this, you know, spin 360 uh, shot on this 10. And I'm, like, tucked into uh, my little cubby hole, trying not to get seen. And there was no way I was going to be able to do it. So we were going to have to do, like, this uh, team spin if we were going to do that. So I was glad you decided not to yeah. shoot. I, I was sitting there debating back and forth, back and forth in the moments, and I just I saw no way that we could pull that off. Right. And I did see a way. Like if the eight keeps coming, I do see a way we could pull that off. So mm-hmm. so that's what I 
that's what I lean towards. And uh, so the buck and the two does kind of bounce off behind us. The big eight is just staring in our general direction at these deer, wondering why did that buck kind of bounce off? Why did those does go the other direction? And he just stood there for a very long time. I mean, I don't know how long it was, but it was a long time he yeah, stood it was. there. Um, and then I'm just in my head just praying, like, please, please don't freak out. Please don't freak out. Please don't freak out. And this is one of those things where the rut helped us out a little bit, maybe, you know, because at this time of year, I think deer are used to seeing does running off in different directions. They're used to seeing bucks go run after does. Mm-hmm. And they're used to kind of even some deer blowing and doing funky things. Mm-hmm. Like, that kind of stuff does happen now. And what was um, so cool about that is, like, I mean, from the moment that buck popped out of that brush, uh, he just, like, took his time and put on a show. Oh, my god! I mean, he was hitting any branch that he could lick between that spot and where he ended up. He was starting a new scrape and, uh, you know, licking and just, like, he was really, I mean, some of the best footage I feel like I've ever captured of uh, deer doing deer things, you know? It was so cool. And I, I remember at one point thinking to myself, like, just kind of, I, I stepped out of the situation for a brief second. I think when he was just frozen there or maybe when he was making the scrape. I just remember thinking to myself, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. Like, no matter what happens, this is so cool. Because mm-hmm. um, it really was spectacular. I mean, seeing an absolute specimen of a buck doing that stuff. Um, man that was awesome yeah and i think it kind of i don't know about you but it kind of put me at ease that like okay he you know he's curious about what's going on with these other deer but he's not distracted enough that he's not just gonna do what he was gonna do yeah as soon as he started making another scrape like my worries disappeared yep and i'm like okay we're in the game again like this is this is possible and then my next thing was like where is he gonna go is he going to basically he was in kind of a low spot and this timber pinched down towards us, but I didn't know if he was going to go straight across out towards the grass or if he was going to turn left and come down through our pinch. And he, he had begun coming our way, but there was still like an option. He could possibly pop up to the top and leave, but he kept angling our direction. And there was a trail that I remember ranging that came by and pinched right in towards us at 30 yards. And he kept angling in that direction as he made these scrapes. And I'm just thinking, please please take that trail, please take that trail, please take that trail. And sure enough, I mean, over a long process, there was another point where he got to like maybe 42 yards, I think he got, but he's behind branches. Mm -hmm. And he did another stop and just look, and just like kind of staring, looking around, looking around, looking around for a long time. Another like, I don't know, five minutes or something. And I'm just, you know, praying that he's going to eventually keep walking and get to that trail. And then... He turns and takes a step, then takes another step. Now he's, you know, 38 yards, still behind branches. Takes another step, 35 yards behind branches, 33 yards, still behind branches. And then he turns. I remember thinking this, I remember this specifically because he turned and instead of heading right across, which would have given me a broadside shot, he took a step hard to the right as if he was almost going to turn and start going directly away from me. And I had a moment of panic. I'm like, no, please, no. You're so close to stepping up behind these limbs and giving me a perfect 30-yard broadside shot. Please do not turn directly away and start walking away from me. I remember having a moment of like, no, don't do that. And he took that one step and then turned again and came out broadside and stepped out from the branches. And now at this moment, I drawn back. And we're drawing back. He steps into that lane. 
And here's what was going through my head at this moment. I'd just come off of the panic of him walking directly away for a half second. And now he had taken like a step and stopped. And then took a step and he stopped. Like for the last few seconds, that was the pattern. Step, stop for half a second. Step, stop for half a second. And so he steps and pauses. I'm now drawn. I get my pin on him. And I remember thinking, don't let him, like I don't want him to step. Like I'm worried he's going to take a step just as I'm shooting the bow. And so on impulse, I go, meh. And I did it very quietly and subtly. I must have had like enough thought in my brain. I, I, I remember thinking like, you don't want to freak him out. So I just did a very light meh. It was, it was as light as I could do it. I just wanted him to like pause. I just didn't want him to take that step. Well, when I did that sound, he, I mean, he spun immediately yeah, hard. snapped his neck right up. And right at that moment, I released the arrow. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play 
or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. So the arrow's in the air, and the next thing I remember was just thinking, hi. Like, it seemed like, like, it's hard for me to remember exactly what came first, but my first gut reaction was I hit high or I missed. I just remember thinking like, oh shit, I screwed up, something went wrong. Did he duck the arrow? Did I shoot over its back? Did I hit the top of its back? Did I ricochet off its back? Something didn't look right. And I think I'd like to go back and look at the footage. I still haven't seen it, but I feel like the first thing I said to you was, what happened? Or did I miss? Or something like that. I can't remember exactly. That's what Um, you said. Is it? Did I miss? Yeah. And I couldn't answer you because it was, the lighting was just bad enough. All I could do is use like that, you know, that audio sound, which is we listen for that pop and I didn't hear the pop. And so that was like my gut. And then the way he ran, (coughs) excuse me, the way he ran off at the same time you were saying I missed or something like that. I think I missed. And so I had immediately thought, okay, well. You must have missed because I didn't hear what I should have heard. And then you immediately had doubt. And then we're watching him just run like a racehorse um, off into no man's land. Yeah. I mean, he ran like a bat out of hell. And I remember thinking, first, did I miss? And then I remember seeing him running away. And the one visual I remember seeing clearly was he hit this patch of dirt. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like. His feet were going a million miles an hour, mm-hmm. and like, there was like, dust everywhere, and I thought, he's like crashing to the ground, I thought, for a second. Like, did yep. I hit him? Did I actually get him? Is he going to die right there? But then he kept going, and, like, just like just like a race car flying mm-hmm. out of there. Um, but then that's when I thought, well, maybe I did hit him. <clears throat> and then the next moments were just like a whole lot of like self-loathing. Like, oh my gosh, what did you do wrong? <laughs> what happened? How could this happen again? Um, because... If you'll remember, last year on one week in November, I missed a giant eight-pointer on the last day of the hunt. And then this whole off-season, and this has been well-documented, I've talked about before, this whole off-season I've worked really, 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 really hard to try to rebuild my shot process, trying to better handle and control my shots. And then to have this this situation that seemed like I either missed or hit this deer at the top of his back or something – I was just really upset. And so everything in my head was you know, assuming worst case. And like you said, with it being as dark as it was, um, I could not clearly see where the hit was either. I mean, I think it was you know within a few minutes of legal shooting, like five minutes of legal shooting light or something like that when I ended up getting the shot. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I couldn't see where the arrow hit. I just remember thinking, hi, or did I hit uh, the bat? I don't know, but just a lot of, unsure yep and i think you know i asked you what you saw and you didn't know and then i was like well can we see the footage and i don't think like we looked at it but the screen's so small yeah we couldn't tell on the screen so then i decided okay well let's go check the arrow figure out what's what what's what and get down go to the arrow and the arrow is fully covered in blood like good blood looked like good (coughs) and so now all of a sudden now I don't know what to think. I still feel like in my mind's eye, I could like, I did not see a perfect hit where it should have been. 
Um, so I'm trying to like figure out what, what does this mean then? I was very yeah. confused. I'm like, okay, so I hit it. So I must have hit really high. Um, but I didn't spine him. Mm-hmm. So where where is this hit? Did I go just underneath the spine? Did I go just over the spine? Did I just get a meat hit on the top? I don't know. But the arrow looks pretty good. We start looking for blood. Don't find anything for a long time. No blood, no blood, no blood. And I'm close to worthless when it comes to blood trailing <laughs> after dark. So I'm counting on you to to find it. You know, I have to really go slow and focus to see the red after dark like that. Um but thankfully, we circled further and further and further, and finally, we got to the spot where there was this dust, this dusty patch I was telling about. I think that's, I think what we said is, I eventually said, okay, we couldn't find blood. Let's go to the last place I saw him. Right. I know he hit this dust bowl. Mm-hmm. Let's go check out the dust bowl. We get to the dust bowl, and like right away, you're like, oh, here's blood mm-hmm. up and down this tree trunk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Spraying like three and a half feet off the ground. Yeah. So now I'm thinking, man, this is this is a different animal than we originally thought. Cause when we couldn't find blood for a long time, now I'm thinking, okay, meat hit. He's hardly wounded. He's going to survive. Uh, I screwed up. Now we see this sprayed blood up and down the tree and like pretty good blood. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, what in the world could this be? How could this be? How do you get a, a spray <laughs> shot with a high hit like that? Right. I don't think I've ever processed as much of a hit as we did that one, because we kept going back to like the arrow looks good. But it didn't pop, and there's not a lot of blood, so it must be like some kind of muscle. And then we get to the spray, and it's like muscle doesn't spray. Mm-hmm. So, and then I'm like, okay, well maybe we hit an artery mm-hmm. up there. And so we, we see the spread, and then I remember thinking, okay, let's you know let's pull in somebody, let's pull in another opinion. And we've been wanting to connect with the other guys on the show, so I thought this would be a great opportunity. Let's FaceTime with Tony. Talk to him what he thinks about the shot. So we talked to Tony, and he's like pretty uh, pessimistic about it. He's like, "Well, you know, I don't know those high shots. It could be a backstrap. I've seen those like meat shots sometimes bleed good for a little bit and then it dries up." Um, he basically brought me down, 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 yeah. mostly. Yeah, same um, with me. And then he said, "But yeah, but you know, you could go follow blood for a ways, but maybe you know, if it goes any more like a hundred yards, maybe back out." I'm thinking, okay, yeah, but I still don't like make. I can't make sense of like the blood being like three and a half feet up the up the tree right. and all the way down and all over the place. Like, um, how is that not? I mean, it's got to be lungs or an artery. Mm-hmm. Um, but we keep going and there's no blood for a while, and then we come over this little hill, and then there's a bunch of sprayed blood across mm-hmm. this log again. Looks really good. I'm thinking, well, let's keep going, but I constantly have this voice in the back of my head, which is. You're going to push it too far. You want it. So, like, I, I so desperately, we all have this, right? You so desperately want to find it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine backing out and waiting until the next day. And I, I I just wanted the crappy feeling to go away. The right. crappy feeling being I messed this up somehow. Um, so we keep going. You know, there's blood. There's a little blood. There's a little blood. But there's not a lot. Like, after that jump over the log where we found some spray, now it's like drip, drip, mm-hmm. drip, little stuff, little stuff. And we follow something like that for like... 50, 60, mm-hmm. 70 yards, yep. like that. And then we go down a little hill. And then at the bottom of this hill, all of a sudden, another spray. And then like a splash and a splash it's and like a splash. Three like three or paint four can. paint cans, yep. And then we're like, oh, man, he's dead. And then there's no blood. No blood for five yards, no blood for 10 yards, none for 15, 20. And now all of a sudden, like, oh, man, the blood's gone. 
now all of a sudden I, I go back to the paint cans. And I'm like, that blood looks really fresh, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And like, did we just bump him? Was he just standing here somewhere? Did he bed down somewhere? And now because we pushed too far, we bumped him. Mm-hmm. And so now all of a sudden I'm getting all worried again and pessimistic. And Tony's voice is in my head saying, ah, I'm not feeling good about man. I don't feel, I don't, he kept on saying things like, I don't have the good feelings for you right now. <laughs> like, you know, most yeah. of your friends are always like, oh man, it's going to be all right. You're going to find him. No, the whole time Tony was like, nope, don't feel yeah. good about this. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's not sounding good. Um, what I knew though, is like, Tony only had what we were describing to him and you and I were like seeing this blood and I was like, I hear what Tony's saying, but this blood is telling me something different. Mm-hmm. So I was with you. I felt like you kind of want to keep going. You kind of want to keep going until like that last time where we just about totally lost blood. I was like, this does not make sense. I mean, that like we had just seen a log that had been sprayed three or four feet wide. And then no no drops. So I, I still couldn't wrap my head around that. But yeah, when we got to the paint can, we thought, dang it, this buck has bedded down. And then we just bumped it and it popped up. And so we had both like good feelings and bad feelings. I think we were back. We were debating, okay, you know, if this deer is bleeding, but it's not like a mortal wound. Like if he's ran this far, it's not an arterial shot. And... If it was a double lung shot, he should have been dead by now. And now we're worried. We just bumped him. Right. And then I was debating, well, do you back out or do you keep following him and you try to make sure he bleeds out? Mm-hmm. So I debated a thousand different things. Sure. But in the end, we, we walked a little bit further, like 20 yards from the paint cans, still couldn't find any blood. And then we heard like a deer moving in front of us, like off in the woods, like kind of just like a step here, a step there. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, what if this deer, if we did bump the deer, mm-hmm. um, and I lost all confidence. I was like, all right, out, we, we're going to back out. I don't know if that's our deer ahead or not, but we've gone way further than I thought I was originally going to go. We've gone more than 200 yards now, according to the app. And I just thought, I'm going to push too far. Like, I just so badly want it. I know what I'm going to be tempted to do. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. So I said, we're pulling the plug. I put my hat down, last blood, marked it, and went home. And... I just felt horrible. Like it was a very quiet car mm-hmm. drive back to the bunkhouse that night. Well, I was trying to process the shot and the feelings of failure and knowing too that, I mean, this place is littered with coyotes, just littered. So we're like, well, if we leave it, we don't find it. Chances are it's going to just be gone by morning because they'll find it. And then we were like probably 50 yards from the river. So, we're like, if we bump it and try and cross the river, then we're going to have a heck of a time on the other th- other side trying to find blood. So there was just, yeah, it was a rough, rough moment. Yeah. So I was also thinking through, like, what did I do wrong in the shot? And so one thing we did is we went and looked at the footage. And while we could not for the life of us see where the arrow hit, we could see that deer ducked seriously on the shot, like significantly jumped the string. So I felt partly better. Because the high hit was not because I pulled it in some kind of horror way. The high hit was because the deer reacted to the shot in a significant way. But I made two mistakes still. Number one, a big mistake was that I had put him on alert by going, man, I didn't 
I probably didn't have to do that. I did it out of an abundance of caution because I didn't want a moving shot. But maybe if I had been able to wait another second more, he would have stayed fully still and I could have gotten that shot just the same. But my impulse paranoia of him moving caused me to make a sound to keep him still, even though I could have instead fired right then and probably would have been fine. Mm -hmm. That was a mistake, big mistake. And I think if I had not made that sound, I think he would have not reacted to the shot at all. and I probably would have got him perfect, but I didn't. I made that rookie move in that kind of heat of the moment situation. Secondly, I've talked about this like shot process that I've been working on. I did not use my shot process all the way. I rushed it. I wish I could tell you that I did it all perfect, but I didn't. I did not make it through all the steps again. I made it through like two pro steps in my first buck I killed this year. Same thing with the doe I killed a week and a half ago. And still same with this one. Like I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still not hundred percent there. I wish I could tell you I was, um, I wish I could tell you that I perfectly said every step of my mantra just the way it was and was fully slowed down. <clears throat> I'm still fighting it. And in this case, I was, I was able to be burning that pin in him, but I did not get to that next step and the, the arrow was on its way. Now I feel pretty strongly that why well, I, I I'm sure that if that buck had not jumped the string, it would have been a great double long hit is a little bit farther back than perfect, but I, I err a little bit back from the shoulder anyways. Um, so if he had not jumped the string, I'd be sitting here very happy with a shot while also knowing I didn't follow my process perfectly and still needing to work on that. That said, my two mistakes compounded, made the noise when I shouldn't have, and then still rushed that shot a little bit, leading to being a little bit, a little bit back of perfect and very high because of the jump string. So that's where, <clears throat> that's where things stood that night. And so I'm beating myself about all that, beating myself up, beating myself up. You've, you're not going to find this deer. It's probably a meat hit or something. You've wounded a deer now. Now what are you going to do for the rest of the week? Are you going to punch your tag and be done in Nebraska and go to Ohio? Do you keep hunting? Do you quit your job and become a salesman, <laughs> used car lot? Um, I mean, I was low that night, very low. The next morning, I went to bed. Like As soon as we got home, I went right to bed. You stayed up and were doing stuff on your computer, but I just like laid in bed and just like, wallowed in self-pity until I fell asleep. The next morning I wake up and I asked you, hey, did you get to look at that photogenic computer? Could you see any better? Could you see the hit? And you said, no, not really. I looked at it and stuff. And I said, well, do you have any footage of him running away at all? And he said, well, yeah, I do. So then I watched that. And I watch him go running over the dirt pile where I had seen him last. And then I see him keep going and keep going and keep going way, way around, running full bore all the way out. And I realized... He was running like a bat out of hell all the way till he went down that last little hill, which is basically right where we stopped. So he never stopped and stood around for right. us to bump him. He never bedded down for us to bump him. He was running full out. We could actually see on the footage all the way to almost where we stopped. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started thinking, man, there's no way this, the situation I was worried about happened now. Like he was running, running, running. He very well could be dead right out there somewhere right. still having died less than 30 seconds from the shot. Um, maybe it was the artery shot. Maybe it was something better. Maybe I did catch the top of a lung. Um, so I had renewed hope a little bit mm -hmm. after that. 
and and maybe I'm getting too long winded with this whole process, but this whole thing was was a huge huge um, highlight of the trip, both starting here as a low, and yeah. then later something more, because we get out there at first light that next day. After I reviewed that footage, I'm feeling a little bit better. We jammed to uh, Fred Bear by Ted Nugent on the drive <laughs> out there, and um, we hike out to this rise. We're coming down to that river bottom, and I can just finally see this um, this little S-bend where the bedding was and where we left the blood at, and I'm about like 50, 60 yards away, and I just come over the hill, and I see down there, and right away I see white belly. Mm-hmm. And I pull up my binos, and I look, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I just spun around to you and I said, turn on the camera. <laughs> and that buck was dead 15 yards from where we had stopped the night before. He was right <clears throat> there. Right there the whole time, dead as a doorknob. Yep. Right in front of us. And uh, even closer to where I stopped because I, I had you stand on blood and then I moved out 10 yards further. And I mean, I could have I could have probably touched him if I jumped but um yeah i mean we were just didn't know what to feel that night you know so our gut was telling us that we had were doing the right thing and we actually were you know but yeah it was such a relief to man when you went over that hill and you picked up the binos and you turned around and kind of shook your head i was like all that stuff just fell off and i was like we got him we got him <laughs> it's the best feeling in the world it absolutely is it was amazing, and the coyotes did not get to him. Did Zero not. coyote damage, which was wonderful. And, uh, I mean, I was the happiest camper in the world. It was just uh, an unbelievable buck. I mean, a gorgeous. Mm-hmm. He's a seven-pointer. He just has a tiny G3 uh, on one side, almost just like a big six. Mm-hmm. Um, and heavy, like a just big old baseball bat beams and bases, and just a really cool slob of a buck huge mm-hmm. body big super mature um just really cool deer mm-hmm. um looked at the hit the hit was high like i thought but it ended up getting both lungs it got the top of one lung and then through the second lung um so it was a double lung shot is what killed it i think he was dead within you know seconds of mm-hmm. running across over there and uh we you know the biggest thing was just not being able to see that hit well and just not knowing mm-hmm. it that threw so much uncertainty into it. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, I think most cases, if you're unsure, if you're uncomfortable, giving it more time is usually the safer bet. And so I'm glad I did that. My big takeaways as far as rooms for room for improvement here is again, you know, knowing when to stop a deer verbally and when not to. And that's a thing like I intellectually know. I know not to make that noise unless the deer absolutely needs to be stopped. But in that moment, it's I'm also very paranoid about taking a moving shot. Mm-hmm. And so in the moment, like it was an impulse thing. And I my my body knew to my I, I knew like my my reptile brain knew enough to be like very subtle with it. I was like I was it was a very subtle little one. So I was I was aware that this was like treading mm-hmm. on thin ice. Um but I still had to do it cuz I was so worried he was going to take another step. Yeah, but I mean, he had told us though that he may take another step. So it was tough because I when you did it, <clears throat> I was like, "Man, the deer was stopped. Why did he do that?" But I noticed that you did it very quietly. And you know, I think 
if that deer wouldn't have been on edge because of those other deer, you know, probably would have been a, a, an issue. But man, you don't know that that deer might have taken another step, and then you'd have been even further back. Yeah. So it's it's hard to say. You know, I definitely it's something to process, but I can't tell you that I know that you did the wrong thing because we had just watched that deer kind of do that same thing for 15 yards and every time he moved. So tough yeah, call. It is. I, I, yeah. This stuff's always so, <laughs> so subjective and, mm -hmm. you know, right or wrong can be the tiniest little thing. Mm -hmm. So that was the thing. And then, you know, continued, you know, work on my process. I still got to keep working. I just need to go home and keep shooting does and just keep working through because I, I can do this a million times in the backyard perfectly, but it's still just always different in the moment, especially when there's a buck in front of you moving mm -hmm. across. Um, so I feel like I'm making progress. I feel like my first buck was great. My second doe was okay. And this one was okay. So, you know, I'm a work in progress on this new shot process. <laughs> I'm going to keep going with it. But big things that happened here outside of that with this kill, I think the real key to success was location. Um, finding a spot that was just like a, a best of both worlds kind of rut location was what killed this deer. And then trusting the features despite not seeing the movement that morning. So again, if you are hunting in the rut, the pillars of rut hunting success are doe bedding areas or hotspots or funnels. If you can somehow combine those two, hunting a funnel next to a bedding area or a funnel that is adjacent or funnels into or out of a bedding area, those are perfect situations where you can concentrate deer movement where bucks want to be going this time of year, which is checking doe bedding areas or leaving doe bedding areas to go to a doe food source, something like that. And so in this situation, this is a tiny pinch point in between two doe bedding areas, and these bucks were just going to cruise right in between them along that river. And then I had the wind in a bulletproof location going out over that water. And even though in that morning situation I was tempted to move, tempted to look for something else, I said, no, I believe in this terrain. I believe in this idea here. Like you have to, like deer hunting is all about, you know, making predictions or making assumptions about uh, some future outcome and sometimes you need to look at a situation like this and you say all right i believe in this setup enough that i believe you know it, it will happen i trust in the location i trust in these features i have confidence that there are deer here that will use that and then you need to give it time to actually come to fruition and so in this case i made the right call trusted the location and sure enough, that evening, the deer did the thing we needed them to do. Mm -hmm. So that's what killed that buck on November 1st. Um, he wasn't chasing a doe. He wasn't, you know, really doing anything crazy ruddy. He was simply leaving a bedding area, kind of cruising over to the next one, laying down sign, and we were in a sweet little pinch point with good wind. Mm -hmm. And that's what did it. The next day, well, no, that day, we finished up all the projects we had to do with that deer. We skinned him out, cored him, deboned him, put him in the cooler, um, cleaned up our place, packed up, headed out, started driving to my next destination, which was Ohio. And now we're, we're riding high. Mm -hmm. I mean, we killed a buck on the very, we shot a buck on the very first day. On the second day of the trip, we recovered him. 
We're feeling great. We were covered all the meat. We've got a beautiful buck in the truck. Um, and now we're heading to the next state, which is Ohio, where there's supposed to be big giant bucks everywhere. Yeah, you and... really talked that spot up. So <laughs> I was like, man, like how much higher can we get here? This is gonna be incredible. Like I'm gonna have you know I'm gonna have time to really hunt it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we drive that night for a few hours, get a hotel room. The next day, I drive the entire day to get there. Finally, we got to a hotel room late on day three, and we're gonna start hunting day four. So as I mentioned. Um, this Ohio stuff I have, there's a small 30 acre piece and there's like a 70 acre piece. Both of these are in the general region of where I used to hunt in Southern Ohio. Me and Furter had a place back in the day. So I knew the neighborhood and I knew the neighborhood was really good. Like we'd killed some really nice bucks when I'd driven around in the summers when we'd scouted and shed hunted and stuff. Like we knew there was really good deer in the area. So I felt confident that if I'm anywhere in this neighborhood, it should be pretty darn decent. Um, so that gave me confidence coming to this week, despite the fact that all I had done is one day of speed scouting in mid-October. Uh, the trail cameras were not terribly encouraging. On the 70-acre piece, I had not gotten a single shooter buck, not a single mature buck from mid-October on. Uh, I had only one cell camera, though, that's working. On the 35-acre piece, I had um, two cell cameras, and I had gotten two possible shooters. One was like a... A, not a very large antler deer, like 115, 120-inch eight-pointer, but big-bodied, mature deer. And then one was a giant eight-pointer, but he'd only shown up two nights. Um, and then there was a third buck that was probably four, but he busted off his entire left side already. So he was a deer. I was like, gosh, I won't, don't want to shoot him. Um, he would have been a nice deer. So I was kind of surprised that the cameras weren't showing me that much. I thought it would have been you know, a lot more, especially on the property, the bigger one. Um, but I thought, well, you know, cameras can only tell you so much. Once you get there, you're going to start seeing deer and you can make adjustments and you'll figure out what's been, you know, avoiding the cameras. So the first morning, again, have nothing set up. I have no experience in these properties. What I did know and what I had tried to find when I did the scouting was like, where's the doe bedding? Where are the bedding areas at? And I found what looked like some bedding on a property neighboring our piece. On the 70-acre piece, basically what I did find on my scouting trip was that the property is cut in half by a fenced-in area. Half the property is fenced in with like a five-foot-tall barbed wire fence, and inside that fence is cattle. So I was pretty bummed about that when I saw there was a bunch of cattle in there because, you know, I've hunted places that have cattle, and bucks will sometimes still use it. Deer will still sometimes use it, but they definitely don't like to be around the cattle. And so I just didn't know how frequently they were in there, and especially with it being entirely fenced in and like tight, new, tall fence, where they go out of their way to jump over a five foot tall fence to go into a cattle pasture with nothing else in there. I didn't know. So I put two cameras and these fingers of timber there and put mock scrapes under them. And this is all back in October. And I thought, well, this will tell me whether or not, you know, when I come back here, this will tell me if these deer are in here. Cause there should be deer working these fingers. There should be deer working along these. Um, if there are not pictures of bucks on here, that means they are not using this area because of the cattle. So that's half the property. The other half of the property is like a 20, I don't know, 10 acre, maybe bean field, cut bean field. And then all that's left is like a five acre little woodlot, which is mostly kind of open hardwoods. So after the scouting trip in October, I'm thinking, well, this is not too promising, especially if they're not using the cattle pasture. Sure. But. <clears throat> There was some thick cover on the neighbors. So 
morning number one, this is November 4th, I decide, all right, let's hunt with this wind. We can hunt downwind of that thick stuff on the neighbors. So we can be on our side with the wind blowing from the thick stuff in the neighbors down to ours. Hypothetically, bucks should be traveling that downwind side and would probably be on our edge and we might be able to get a shot. This is an area that's close to some uh, properties that aren't allowed to be hunted kind of sanctuary kind of stuff. So I felt like, gosh, there's got to be something good cruising out of there. Um, during the rut, there'll be bucks moving through. That morning, we sneak in before daylight, well ahead of time, find a tree. I'd marked a tree uh, on my scouting trip in October that I thought would be good for this wind in that location and uh, got set up in there. There's poison ivy in the tree. Um, Everywhere. Yeah. And uh, we see just one doe. Nothing else. Wasn't too keen on that. No. It, and it looked pretty promising, too. Once the sun came up, I was like, yeah, we this, there could be something that's going on here. And, yeah, we just had that one come through. And then had some dogs run through that bedding area. Mm-hmm. We saw dogs run through. So at midday, I decided, all right, I'm going to get out of here, and I'm going to go check the trail cameras. And that'll give me a much better sense of what's going on in here. I had the two cameras in the fingers in the cattle pasture, and then I had one cell camera on the edge of the field on a big scrape that had not been sending to me. So we pull all those cards, check all the cards, and there's <laughs> nothing. Just a million and a half pictures of cows. Yeah. <laughs> like, we got, I think, one doe in the cattle pasture yep. over the course of three weeks, and then on the scrape that wasn't in the cattle pasture, there was one three-year-old buck and a few does here and there. A ton of raccoons. And lots of raccoons mm-hmm. and dogs, too. Mm-hmm. And that was it for like three and a half weeks or something. And we were kind of banking on that, too, so that was like a bit of a yeah. let the air out of the balloon. Huge, huge. So with that, I kind of felt like writing that. I essentially wrote off that entire property, that 70-acre piece, which, you know, if I, if I write off the whole, you know, 40 some acres, that's the cattle pasture. And then you see that there's nothing visiting those two cameras on the outside at all. And we sat there, saw nothing. I said, all right, let's sit one more time this evening and see this field somehow and see, you know, see what's coming out to feed. If maybe there's does here, there was some winter wheat growing up in the field now. So I had a little bit of hope. Well, maybe this is like a draw. Maybe there'll be some does out here, and if there's does, we got a chance. We ended up, because of the wind being a a direction that's tough to hunt over there, I decided let's throw the decoy out in the field and hunt on the ground, tucked in a fence row. So we ended up doing that. We tuck into a back corner of this fence row, put out the decoy about 20-some yards out in front of us. We've got a good view of the field, Mm -hmm. and then we can see back into a neighbor's field a little bit too. I can see into the cattle pasture as well. Um and we sat there for the evening, you know, hoping, all right, we'll see some does, maybe some young bucks, maybe we'll see a big boy roll through off in the distance or something. And what did we see? A decoy. We saw a decoy. <laughs> How many times did you like see a buck out of the corner of your eye and like jolt and then all of a sudden realize, well, that's just my decoy? Yeah. That happened a bunch. We didn't see a single deer that night. Nope. Um that was know. <laughs> This is the start of the downhill. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, again, it was hot though, right? So I put some of this on. This hot weather is not helping us, but you'd still think something would mm-hmm. come out, you know, last light or something. Sure. But nothing. So now I feel really negative about this piece. And I decided, all right, 
that 35 acre piece is probably where we need to focus because I had gotten those good bucks on camera there and I had found some really, really good bedding cover inside there. So I knew from that scouting trip, there's like an epic bedding area in there. There's this big point that extends out into the middle of the timber and there was like an old cut or something on top of it that is now overgrown in brambles and cedar trees and grass and just awesome thick stuff. About two acres of really, really good looking bedding. And the rest of the timber is pretty good and thick. And there's these nice ridges. And I'd found these benches on the side of the ridge where there was just scrapes littered up and down this bench. Um, and as I mentioned, I had gotten several nice bucks on camera over there. So I felt at least there, I know there's some shooters. It's got great habitat. It's got great doe bedding. If we get in there into the interior, which would be a plunge, but if we get in there and sit it out, there's going to be bucks cruising. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be the plan for the next day. So the sure next morning... Like with the wind direction we had, I had to hunt the outside edge of that bedding area. What was cool about that, though, and I knew this from when I walked it, on the outside of that bedding area, there's like a steep drop-off on the property line, and it drops down to a creek and then a cornfield on the neighbors. And so I found a spot where you could sit, and you'd be on the downwind edge of this thicket, and you would blow your wind off that cliff or that, like, you know, steep embankment and blow your wind out over this creek and field up behind you. Um, you know, nothing would be able to wind you. Um, you know, anything that did come downwind of you would be within 20 yards. And then otherwise it'd be off that steep drop off. So I was excited about that. This looked like a dynamite cruising spot. Um, so the plan was to sneak in there early, find a tree, get set up and then sit there all day. Cause there's no way to get out from there without having to walk back through all that bedding. And so that's what we did. We had a doe bedding area. We were downwind of it. We were in thick cover. There was tons of big rubs and scrapes and sign in the yeah, area from when sign. I scouted. And then again, when we came in there now during the rut, we could see it again too. There was a big old cedar tree, like six, seven inches around. It was all shredded up. Um, looked great. Mm -hmm. And we sat all day and we saw zero deer on the property. Yeah. Only thing we saw was a guy walking the edge of the bedding area with his, uh, German shepherd. Yes. So we did see that. And then at last light in that cornfield way down on the neighbors, a doe did pop out. Mm -hmm. That was it for the day. Um, so that was day two in Ohio. Day three in Ohio, I decide, well, let's, let's hunt. Let's give that spot a little more time. I just believe like, it seems such like a great area. Had a great wind situation. We were downwind of this amazing bedding, tons of sign in there. Um, we just got to give it time. I know that from previous history, this is a relatively low deer density kind of area. Um, we had days like this when we hunted down Ohio where you only see like three or four deer or something. And you just have to push through the slow days because eventually a big one would come through. So I decided to go back in there that morning. We sit it all morning. The guy comes walking by again <laughs> with his dog, and we again see no deer. Mm-hmm. So now is one of those rut conundrums that I'm always faced with where you're torn between, and I talked about this earlier, you're torn between the idea of staying or going. Do you stick with something? Do you trust a plan? Do you trust a feature? Do you trust history? Or do you bounce around trying to find fresh sign or trying to find something that makes you feel good or trying to see deer or whatever it is? Um, And in this case, I knew that we had a wind shift coming up the next day, going from a south wind to a north wind. 
and I knew that with that north wind, I could hunt the interior of the bedding area, which was the number one spot I'd found. And I thought, well, that's where I want to be. And now I've sat a day and a half in this location, and we still haven't seen what I want to see. Maybe we do need to move. Maybe there's more stuff going on. And I forgot to mention, the night prior, we got a trail camera picture of a giant buck Mm -hmm. stepping into that edge of the interior bedding uh, like 15 minutes before dark. Mm -hmm. So he'd been in there, and then we exited, you know, kind of past wherever he went. Um, So I knew there had been a big buck in that general area the night prior. So now I want to get in there. So at midday, we pulled on our set, and we kind of waited till the wind rose up to give us a little bit of sound cover. And then we just really, really, really slowly worked our way downwind of the bedding area as far out as I could get, circled around it, did a really big like half moon shape to work around the bedding area to get to the other side, where now with the west-southwest wind we are now getting, we could blow along the edge of the bedding, which is a little risky, but at this point I'm trying to make moves. And the next day when that wind blows north, it'll blow straight back behind us down into this creek bottom. So the new setup, the new tree we're in, we're on the opposite side of that two-acre bedding thicket. We're on the lee side of this ridge, so the wind will be blowing from the ridge past us and then down to a creek at the bottom of the hill. And there's a bench that runs along the side of this ridge that is littered with scrapes. And I had a camera on that bench, and that had gotten me pictures of some of those bucks I mentioned. So that is what we set up on for our day three in Ohio, middle of the day setup. And so again, the tactic I'm using here is being on the edge of bedding cover and being on the downwind side of it. And then also now we're in an interior location where we can see across this creek bottom and we can see the other side and a couple different spots and maybe possibly call to something Mm -hmm. if it's out of range. Thick cover, we're on a bedding area. And there's tons of fresh hot sign in here, and I can see the call. That was basically what we were doing here for this rut hunt. And I believed, you know, be in that best bedding, and something will come through. That was what I was leaning on. We hunted that night. Didn't Saw see. nothing. Saw nothing. At last light, we did hear Buck grunt on the other side of the valley. Um, and that was it. All that takes us to day seven. That's today. And now, again, I'm trusting this feature. I, I believed in this location. I believed in the habitat, the way that thick cover and that terrain would funnel deer through there. And so we're going right back to that same tree, and we're going to set it out for the day. And we get in there early this morning. I'm feeling good about it. And before daylight, we hear, and there's a buck running or deer running towards us. And then it stops and then takes a few steps and stops and then takes a few more steps. And I realize uh karate's right downwind of us. It was dark. I can't see anything. Can't pick up anything in the binoculars. Stands there for, I don't know, five minutes. Yep. 10 minutes. I don't know. It felt like a long time. Yeah. It did feel like a long time. And I was thinking, man, if he just hangs out there and the sun comes up, he's going to be in trouble. But he decided to move off. He eventually turned. Went back the way it came. Didn't like freak out at all. Didn't blow, but just turned and just walked back the way it came. And daylight came, and I thought for sure, all right, it's a colder morning. It was like 10 degrees colder than it was the morning before. Thick bedding. This seemed like a great morning location. 
And uh, man, we, there's a cedar tree, like, I don't know, 10 inch diameter mm-hmm. cedar tree now, about 20 yards from the tree, just tore to shreds. Mm-hmm. You later pointed out like a pile, like a huge pile of mm-hmm. uh, bark, uh, what would you call it, shavings mm-hmm. that came off the tree and they were piled at the bottom. I mean, very, very impressive. Um, and we sat all morning. And how many deer did we see? Zero. Zero deer. Sat all the way through the middle of the day. How many deer did we see in the middle of the day? Zero. One coyote. We did see a coyote. Turkeys. Turkeys. A million and a half squirrels. Yeah. Zero deer. Then we sat the rest of the evening. How many deer did we see that evening? Zero. Zero. We sat four days in Ohio. Saw one doe within the first hour on that first property. And then three days on the other property on which we saw zero deer on that property. We saw just the one doe for one minute on the neighbors. And we put in, you know, three full all-day sits there at the end. And then that other day, we were scouting most of the middle of the day. So essentially... 40 hours. Yeah. Essentially, you've got full four, four full days there um, with not a single buck to show for mm-hmm. it. It was the worst four days of hunting in the rut I think I've ever had. I agree to that. Um, I've never sat for so long and seen so few deer and not a single buck. So that then raises a lot of questions for me. It raises a lot of questions like, what did I do wrong? What did we do wrong here these last four days? Or what was going on that led to this being so bad? So this is something I've been thinking about. I'm curious what your thoughts are, Justin, but I think we had a few things going. One, the warm weather absolutely is not helping. I, I know, you know, I proved it. On day one, you can kill deer on hot weather days during mm-hmm. the rut. It's still possible. It just uses more tight time frames, right? There's, there's movement earlier in the morning. There's movement late in the day, but not as much in the middle of the day. But it's still possible. All that said, it's it doesn't help. It certainly dampens things. It certainly mm-hmm. makes things worse. You do not get that that you know intense daylight activity you might otherwise. So I think the fact that we had seven straight days of 70-plus degree weather absolutely slowed things down and kept us from seeing the kind of activity we could have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing that hurt us was that, you know, these areas were even lower deer density than I realized. And I had almost no preparation or knowledge about these properties ahead of time. And that's on me. Um, you know, I was trying to find something throughout the summer, nothing came together. And when it finally did, it was, you know, mid season and I was excited to have anything. So I jumped on it. My lesson here is that, you know, this time we have is so um, precious that I'm just wasting my time hunting stuff that I have not adequately prepared for. Mm -hmm. Can you show up at a brand new property and figure it out? Yes. Have I done it? Yes. Is it a lot of fun? Yes. We did did it it in Nebraska. We did it in Nebraska. Um, But at the same time, if there's any uh, way to avoid that by being able to get started in the winter or spring... Why not do it? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to rededicate myself in this off season to try to nail down my Ohio or whatever my out of state option is going to be. Like a re- find a really good spot and know it well, and arrive come season dialed in and knowing that okay there are deer here. I know what's going on. I know what to expect. I I, I hated the fact that we came here with like well cameras aren't showing very much, but I hope it's good. I know that the area should be decent, 
And then we get here and it's like a ghost town. I mean, the most ghost town of a property <laughs> I've ever spent time on. And I'm just like, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm trusting the feature and the sign. I know there are deer here. There should be deer here, but maybe not many. Um, and, and so the rut can cover up a lot of um, inadequacies. The rut can make up for a lack of knowledge. It can make up for a lack of um, scouting and preparation, all that kind of stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to depend on that. Right. You want to have everything lined up as best as you possibly can. And then if the rut gives you a little extra luck, great. Take advantage of it. But I think in this case, you know, due to the weird set of circumstances, I was just forced in this issue where I had so little planning. And I think that hurt us. Yeah. And while, <clears throat> excuse me, while it can help you with the unpreparedness because you never know what might happen, it can also be, uh, you know, amplified if you, in the fact that if you're not in the right place and you haven't done that preseason or spent time, because then you're dedicating yourself to a spot that is like can be completely dead. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I don't know. I still don't know why this spot wasn't a hot spot. It sure screamed out we that it should have We scratched our heads for three days. It, it was still, and so, so here's the possibilities. One possibility could have been that we just were unlucky and that there was a situation where there was a hot doe somewhere mm-hmm. with our big buck locked onto her and all the other satellite bucks hanging out around it. And that was just in a different corner than we were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something that's not out of the question that something like that could happen for two or three days. And we were only there for three days. Mm-hmm. So that could have been what happened. Another possibility, maybe this thick bedding area that I thought was so awesome Maybe mostly bucks are just using that. Maybe that's a buck bedding area, and the does are bedding somewhere else. Maybe I pinned all my hopes on a place thinking that's a doe hotspot, mm-hmm. when instead all the bucks were down in some other corner where the does like to hang out more often. Sure. That's a possibility. Yep. This place was littered with buck sign, but we never saw a doe. That's we true. never bumped a doe. I don't have tons of pictures of does in there. I do have buck pictures in there. Um, so I might have dedicated our three days to a buck bed. <laughs> And um, a buck bedroom, like a buck palace, um, at a time when you don't want to be hunting a buck bedroom. So that's a possibility. It was still the best option for this property. But, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think you got to give yourself credit because while you may not have done the preseason or had, you know, the opportunity to go in ahead of season and, and figure all that out, it's still you made the best decision based on the time allotment that you had. <clears throat> so, and, and sometimes we have to do that, Yeah, which is essentially what we did in Nebraska. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, even, even if you were like, okay, this is buck bedding, that's still the property we were dedicated to. Yeah. So we still, I think made the best decision based on the sign and what should have been happening during the rut. Yeah. So then that brings me to the third question, which is, you know, I dedicated myself to this bedding area, hunting a day and a half on one side of it and a day and a half on the other side of it. When, you know, was it simply happening somewhere else? And I guess I kind of, one of these options was like, there could possibly be a buck locked on a doe somewhere else, but maybe I was just wrong. Mm-hmm. And maybe actually the hot bedding area was over on the far other corner on the neighbors that we didn't know about 
over where there was a cornfield or mm -hmm. something or some other draw that all the does were hanging out over there. And I never even explored those spots right now. I mean, maybe something I should have done or could have done midday is like, all right, we're going to do a walkabout and just walk around until we start bumping deer or till we figure out what's happening right now. Um, some people would do that. I instead trusted in that location and said, I, I believe in this bedding area. Eventually something has to cruise by and nothing ever did. Um, right, wrong, or indifferent, that's what we did. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I, I do not know what the right call was. I don't know if there's, I, I guess I'm still just scratching my head. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It, I'm perplexed. I'm very perplexed. We could see a decent area tonight. We could hear a long ways. I mean, nothing came through. Yeah, there was nothing going through there without us seeing it. I mean, 13 hours today, and one deer came through before daylight, mm -hmm. and that was it. And it was a big area covered. Yeah, you know, I think what you were saying is a good point where you started with, like, what could have been the issue. I think, you know, with the rut, you know, these deer are used to having a day or two pop up, right, where it's 60, 70 degrees, and they, they, they're, like, in pre-rut, rut mode. But day four, day five, like, at some point, that hot weather, I feel like, is going to hit them, and they're going to be, like, not sure what's going on, but, like, we're not doing this. So, and I think that's probably what happened is, like, like you said, like, I can't remember a prolonged, like, hot spell like this during the rut. It's usually, like, again, you get a day or two, and, I think they just keep rolling, but I, with the combination of that and um, the possibility that those bucks that we had that were your targeting could have been, you know, just on the very next property over locked down, and you, there's just nothing you can do. You just never yeah. know it. Yep. You know, except put time in the stand. Put time in the stand. We did that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we gave it everything we could. Right. We we sat from dark to dark. All three days there, and then that one day we just scouted midday and had lunch. Mm -hmm. um, so we certainly gave it a, an A effort. We gave it an A effort in Nebraska, pulled it off, gave it an A effort in Ohio, and got blanked. Mm -hmm. and I think that's an important lesson to take from this as well, is that when it comes to the whitetail rut, you can do everything right and still not get a buck. Mm -hmm. You can also make mistakes sometimes and get your buck. The rut it can shine a spotlight on inadequacies. It can also put duct tape over a big old hole. It can do crazy things. And you simply need to go out there, put together the best possible plan you have, work, put in the time, and see where the chips fall. Mm -hmm. And appreciate it for what it is. Like Somehow embrace whatever it is. This is a hard one to embrace the last four days because... I mean, zero bucks for four days and just two tiny doe sightings across all those hours in the tree. That was tough. But I kept on thinking back to the November or November one, thinking back to how great that moment was and how great that day and a half, two days was. And so I think when it comes to the rut, when the good times are good, like soak them in, really, really enjoy it because you got to know that the bad times are going to come. Sure. Like, I was talking about this earlier this week. I think one of the best things we could do as deer hunters during the rut is reset our expectations right now. If you are listening right now, this might be the very most important thing you get out of this entire podcast. 
Right now, I want you to reset your expectations for your upcoming rut hunts. They will not all be like a Drury Outdoors video. They are not all going to be chasing, fighting, grunting, mating bucks nonstop. You are not going to have the Super Bowl of the whitetail rut dream scenario your entire trip or your entire hunt. In fact, most of your hunt will not be that. Mm -hmm. You should assume that 95% of your hunt will be slow, monotonous, and boring. It will not be what you're dreaming of. You might get lucky and have a few of those special moments or one of those special days or a couple of those special days. Set your expectations there and be okay with that and be prepared to have fun with that. Make the most of that. Enjoy that for what it is. If you can go into the game with that expectation, I think then whatever reality dishes out, you will then enjoy more. Mm -hmm. But when we go into it, and I do it every year, every year I'm like, oh my gosh, the rut's going to be amazing. It's going to be magical. It's going to be 14 days of nonstop <laughs> grunting and chasing. And it never lives up to that standard, ever. If I just better prepared myself for it and just knew like, all right, man, this is going to be a grind and we're going to have a couple of good times. And then the rest is going to be like, eh. mm. but you, you weather that and you enjoy it for what it is. And then you're there and ready and able to take an opportunity when it does present itself. Mm -hmm. So reset for reality, <laughs> know it's going to be tough and then you won't be disappointed <laughs> what it is. And you will be super stoked when you do have those special days. Mm-hmm which are possible, and they do happen, and they're what we live for. But they don't come by that often, man. Right. We had one special day out of seven, mm -hmm. and it was awesome. When we look back on this week, you know, next year when we look back on it, we're going to be like, oh, that was great. We won't even remember the four days of misery. Right. We'll think back to that one special day. And I think that's, you know, there's the, the we keep on hearing this analogy, but there's like the analogy of like a pregnancy like my wife, right after giving birth to our firstborn child, was like, no way am I ever doing that again. But then like six months later, she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have another child. <laughs> um, you gloss over the tough stuff with a little bit of time and you just remember the good. Yep. And I think that's the case with a rut. So uh, be prepared for some tough times and some slow times. And uh, you'll, be, you'll be that much more excited and ready to take advantage of the good ones when they do come. That was a big takeaway for me and reminder out of this hunt. Um, were there any other main big things that stood out to you as far as things, either mistakes I made or lessons we learned Tons or of observations? <laughs> That's a different podcast. <laughs> no, man, I, I think, um, I think what you're saying is good. I think, uh, it's a good time too, like to, if, if something's not working, like make a change. Like if you have the option to if you're you sit a morning or two mornings or you know a full day sit and it's just not happening and you have the flexibility to find where it's happening do it you know i i felt like that move we made midday was great even we we only went 100 120 yards but that really could have put us in the game um so it could be that small but i think you know you you have to you're not on like a, a bed to food pattern necessarily during this time of year. So it's, it's a good time to think outside the box. And also, you know, the, the night where we were like, we don't have that great of a wind. What's the use to climb in a tree? 
you know, get the decoy out. It's a great time to decoy. And, um, you know, it, it also, especially for us on a property we'd never been on, gave us a, an opportunity to learn more. Because if for some reason that night we saw a deer coming out of this, the, you know, jumping the fence where the cows were or saw a deer coming across one corner, it could have made, a, you know, a, a lot of our decisions for the next day or next yeah. couple of days. So I would encourage uh, to use that time to grow as a hunter just in general. Like, you don't have to plop yourself, you know, the peg in the hole. Just put your head on the swivel, and if it's not working, find them. Yeah, yeah. Adjust, observe, and adjust, observe, mm-hmm. and adjust. Yep. That's the trick. So I think big things here, even during the rut, gather intel at the beginning of your hunt, whether that's scouting preseason or scouting the first day or scouting midday, glassing, doing observation sits. If you don't know what the heck you're doing, figure something out. Don't commit before you know something. That's a big one. I think what you said is another big lesson. Continue to pivot. Observe, adjust, pivot. Observe, adjust, pivot. Don't lock yourself into something unless you have confidence in it. When you do have confidence in a terrain feature or a habitat type, Give it some time to produce, but you need this part just comes down to experience. I think you need to know from experience or gut when it's time to pull the plug. Mm-hmm. Like for me, you know, giving it a day and a half in that first spot was like, okay, that's enough. I get I got two morning sits in, which were where I was really, really expecting something, and then an evening sit. That was enough where I was like, okay, I really love this feature, I love this spot, but pulling the plug on it. Mm-hmm. Um that is something though that is always easier said than done, knowing when the right move is. And that should that's a sliding scale too based on deer density. You know, if we are in a very high de- deer density area, you might be able to make a decision more quickly when you see like all the deer do something different. Mm-hmm. But in a low deer density area, you do need to sit a longer period of time sometimes to ever have a chance for something to come through. Right. Because good deer movement in a low deer density area might be two deer coming through your, you know, ten acres in a day and you got to know for that or be prepared for that Mm -hmm. so it was a weird rut it was a weird trip like i'm still processing i'm still thinking through i don't know what to make of this second half in ohio i loved what we did in nebraska i've got work still to do with my shooting but i'm making progress the rut's amazing the rut's brutal um i feel a heck of a lot better on this episode than I did in the episode I recorded after my one week in November trip last year. I can tell you that missing that buck last year was devastating. Killing this buck this year was an incredible relief and so gratifying. Um, and maybe the final thing I should mention is that I'm having a great hunting season and I'm doing it while having fun. Mm -hmm. I've removed a lot of the pressure I used to put on myself I'm spending more time with my family, spending some time with some buddies. I'm getting out and doing stuff when I'm excited about giving time to uh, mentoring new hunters. I'm not traveling to 10,000 states. Instead, I'm close to home, but still doing a few trips, trying to find balance. And I'm just not trying to do it for anyone else but me now. And I'm having a great time. And I think everyone's got to find their own way to do that in their own hunts. Finding the fun. Find how to fulfill your own goals, not do it for anybody else, and enjoy this stuff. 
the rut we always talk about, you got to grind it out. It's a marathon. You got to put in the time. You got to work, 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 work. It's all true. But at what expense if you are not having fun? Right. You're out there hunting during the rut because it's fun. So don't make it like a tactical battle plan that you have to suffer through. Enjoy it. There's a lot of stuff in life that sucks. There's a lot of stuff in life that's hard. We're all going to face tough challenges. There's going to be tough, disappointing, tragic things happen in our lives. We don't need to add any more nasty, bummer kind of situations to our life. If we're going to add deer hunting as is a part of our lifestyle, make sure it's a positive. Make sure it's a fun thing. Make sure you're not going hunting because you feel obligated to go hunting, but go because you actually want to go. Don't sit all day because you feel obligated because if you don't kill a big buck, you're, you think your buddy's going to look at you differently. No, sit all day because you're stoked about it. If you're not stoked about it, spend time with your family mm-hmm. or go do something with your kids or go do something with some friends. Don't do it to impress anyone. Don't do it because I tell you you should do it or because someone on TV told you you should do it. Have fun. And I think that's my final message for uh, for our little rut recap podcast here, Justin. I can agree with that. Any other thoughts? Nope. <clears throat> I need to get home to hunt. I know. You've been working hard as a cameraman. Now it's time <laughs> to be the shooter. Yep. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll wrap this one up. Thanks for tuning in for this long, winding discussion, post-hunt recap episode. Hopefully you learned a few things. You enjoyed the story. I'm still uh, reveling in the glory of that Nebraska buck. You can check out pictures of it over on my Instagram account at Wired to Hunt. And uh, you'll get to see the hunt on one week in November, season two, which will come out in 2023. Uh, and Justin nailed some sweet footage of that uh, of that deer. We unfortunately have zero buck footage for the rest of the trip. <laughs> but yeah. it was really good in the beginning. Um, so that said, thank you for tuning in. Appreciate you being a part of this community. Best of luck out there in the woods. Enjoy the rut. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.